My guest today is going to be an absolute lifesaver for anyone who's ever had a difficult conversation with a client where maybe there's some negative feedback, the client's not happy with the service, they don't want to pay anymore, all this lovely stuff that comes with running a solopreneurial service-based business these days. So Nicole Davidson is a negotiation consultant who's worked with a lot of big companies in mediation and now she does commercial mediation, meaning she goes into a room with two people who are butting heads and she sorts everything out, makes sure everyone's happy. And she's bringing that knowledge to the coaching space today on Coaches to the Moon. Here she is, Nicole Davidson. This is Coaches to the Moon, the only podcast you need to skyrocket your coaching business and create true impact on the world. Here's your host, Alex Morris. Welcome back to the Coaches to the Moon podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here today with uh, Nicole Davidson. She's a negotiation consultant, which I'm really keen to dig into. Uh, she's got over 20 years of experience in commercial conflict and negotiation work. She's also the host of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast and mom to three beautiful young whippersnappers. Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Absolute pleasure, Alex. Excellent. Excellent. So we brought you on today to talk to you about negotiation for coaches. I came on your podcast where I talked about negotiation in kind of a sales sense, but I'd love to get from you a quick rundown of what the term negotiation means to you. Yeah, it's a really good question because I think what's really interesting is often people don't realise they're in a negotiation. Um, and I had a great example of that just last night where I was talking to some people about um, potentially doing a masterclass at a conference they were running and they got in contact. We talked about how it might work and I sort of had a discussion to say, well, look, what they were offering really didn't make sense to me and here are all the reasons why. And we came up with an alternative. So instead of doing a masterclass, I'm going to run a session at the conference. And at the end, I said to them, it was a great negotiation. And they went, what? And they went, oh, yeah, we were just negotiating, weren't we? And for me, negotiation is any time you are communicating with somebody and you're trying to achieve outcomes. And those outcomes may be mutually exclusive or they may be things that work really well together. Um, often we think it's only where we're negotiating and we, you know, what we both want doesn't go together, um, that they're mutually exclusive. And we think that's a negotiation. We've got to sort of split this pie of fixed resources. Um, but it really is any time you go into a conversation with somebody else and you're both trying to achieve outcomes. So it's a pretty broad concept. That's a really good description of it and a good example, I suppose, yeah, in in life, we probably get a lot of our um, perception of negotiation from these law dramas on TV where they rock in and they have some, they completely slaughter the person with some line and then turn and walk out. And every conversation they have is the most conflict that, you know, any of us would ever experience. And it's all they seem to do. And they just crush it with their nice hair. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, and they're very polished suits as well. I, I mean, I yeah. grew up on negotiation in the LA law sense. That shows my age. Yeah. Um, but absolutely. I think we, so many people come away with negotiation as this sort of really hostile, combative process. Yeah. And that's just one way of negotiating. Yes, 100%. And then there's, you know, I guess it comes down to everyday life as well. Simple as 
what do you want for dinner or talking to your kids or even negotiating with yourself to get out of bed to go to the gym rather than work, work absolutely those, those internal negotiations are often the hardest <laughs> i think that's very true i'm very aware by the way that we pronounce negotiation differently I thought of changing the way I say it, but I'm not going to. I don't no. think I'll pull it off very well. So We all know <laughs> what we're talking about. 100% we do. And, uh, yeah, that is life. It's not all about compromise. It's about win-win. So, um, you know, I want to get into some tangible coaching stuff first, but just in terms of what you do for some context, mm. negotiation consultant under your own practice now but in the past, you've worked with some big companies. What was your role for these big companies day to day? So my role before I worked for myself, probably the, where I did the most negotiation, well, there's been a few things. So I've had quite a varied career. Um, I worked in the insolvency space for about eight or nine years. And so in terms of negotiations there, the biggest ones, I guess, were negotiating with creditors of companies that had gone broke, um, trying to work out how to keep them happy. Often there wasn't a lot of flexibility in those negotiations, uh, but there was also negotiations with staff who might be wanting, we might be wanting to keep on in the administration for a period. Um, there were negotiations with my staff about, you know, job roles and how we managed all of the work that needed to be done. Um, a lot of the negotiations with external parties were quite aggressive and combative because negotiation is a hard area to find a win-win um, outcome in. I also got involved in negotiation because I spent close to two years as a recruitment consultant. Um, so there, once again, I had, you know, negotiations with the clients, what were our fees going to be, um, how do we determine what the scope of our work was going to look like, and then negotiation with candidates as well. Um, and in some ways, I was the middleman there, as I am now when I'm a commercial mediator. Yeah, and so commercial mediation, pretty much you're, you know, the person in the middle holding the two heads apart, stopping people from completely going at it, making sure there's a good outcome for everyone. What was it that made you think, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm going to focus on this specific aspect of negotiation as my career. So for me, um, the interesting thing was, I guess, before I was even doing insolvency, I qualified as a lawyer. And so I had a background in, in the law. I found litigation as a method of resolving disputes to be particularly um, unnecessarily complicated in a lot of cases, very slow, very time consuming. So I'd never really got into that side of things. But once I started getting into negotiation and I, I came into negotiation as a trainer. So I've been teaching generalist skills around communication, presentation, all of these things and then moved into an organisation where I really got to dive deep into the theory of negotiation and how it works and how to apply it. And that was when I realised that there was this whole skill set that if we applied it to business disputes would have a far greater impact than litigation might do and would help people get those disputes resolved quickly and easily. So I was really seeing that that then made me go, well, you know, as much as I love the teaching and training of negotiation and it's still part of what I do, um, the best way for me to put that into practice in a way that was going to have maximum results for others was to, to step in and, as a mediator because, you know, I think one of the things is we all negotiate all the time, but very few of us have ever been taught how to do that effectively. Mm. And so bringing someone into a negotiation to help facilitate that by bringing the negotiation skills to the conversation um, has a really big impact. And, and that's why I moved into that field and, and why I love it. 
so much. I can tell you love it. That's fantastic. It's a topic that is, I wouldn't have even thought about as a potential branch of, you know, a career or life. And you, you seem to absolutely love it, which is great. I wanted to just, you know, dig into your skills a little bit more. Can you, can you tell us about the biggest deal you've ever saved with some savvy negotiation? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that's a really good question, Alex. So, look, I, I'm not sure. Um, some of the deals that I think I've been able to add the most value haven't necessarily been the biggest ones, but they're the ones where the parties themselves are really struggling with the whole process. And um, they tend to be the ones where there's a lot of um, anxiety and hostility that are in there. So I can think of a couple of examples. One of the ones I, I guess that stands out for me is a contractual dispute. It was between a um, call centre and the user of a call centre. Um, and they had a contract between them. There was a dispute about money that was to be owed um, to the call centre provider under that contract. Um, that dispute was worth about six or $700,000. So big, but not massive in depending on the scale that you're working to, um, but significant amount. Um, the parties were located around the world. So they were all in different spots. The call centre was um, in Africa. There were also people in Europe um, that were involved in this dispute. Now, if this had gone to litigation, um, between the parties, they estimated that it would have cost around $300,000 in legal fees right. to go through the litigation process. Now, $300,000 for a debt of six dollars to $700,000, massive. Mm. Um, we were able to bring people together remotely at this point, so we did it all via Zoom, so there were no travel costs, there was no lost time. Um, we did have to shuffle it around to manage all the different time zones. But we, in two half-day sessions, were able to resolve that dispute for them. And my cost was less than $10,000. Yeah. So, you know, you think about 10000 versus three hundred, And, you know, once again, how did we resolve it? It was because the parties hadn't actually, once they got into a dispute, they basically stopped talking to each other. And the process that I used brought them back to really clarify what were the key issues that they needed to, that they didn't agree on. So, you know, I worked through the process. What do we agree on as fact? What do we disagree on? We get the lawyers involved. Where is the disagreement there? And once you narrow down those issues, it becomes much easier to then get to a resolution. Great. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And you're managing to, excuse me, and you're managing to handle negotiations uh, remotely and virtually pretty well? Yeah. Look, once again, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, could I do what I do online? I'd have said, oh, no, no, it needs that personal touch. Um, I think over the last couple of years, and I've done close to 100 mediations online now since COVID started, um, it's about how you use the technology. And, you know, while there are some negatives and, and certainly what I, what I lose and what the parties to the negotiation lose is the inability to have some of the um, sort of side conversations that you might have in a negotiation. So sometimes the action mm. happens away from the negotiation table. Parties are all stopping and taking a break and having coffee or morning tea. And, you know, there's those incidental conversations that are the things that move things forward. So you lose that. But equally, I find that when you put people into their own environment, they're sitting in their own 
home or their own office, they're comfortable, they tend to be a bit more relaxed. So there's a benefit of that remote side of things as well. So, you know, I mm. think it's like everything's that it's not all bad and it's not all good. There's, you know, just differences between the two options. That's super true though, isn't it? About being in your own environment, feeling more comfortable. I'm mm. I'm not great in uh, medical establishments. Um, you know, I just kind of freeze up a little bit. And since we've had the babies, you know, we, we had to go to the doctors and the hospital all the time. But then for the last, uh, you know, often if we have to go to like one of the big children's hospitals for checkups and stuff and they shut them all, they didn't shut them down, but they're like, if it's not essential, don't come because there's mm-hmm. like 10,000 people here a day, you're going to get COVID. Um, we did them all, you know, online like this, consultations with doctors and that sort of thing. And goodness me, I'm joking around with them, you know, I, I can just act completely differently. And so that is a super interesting um, factor that you just mentioned there. So, uh, Nicole, what I really wanted to go into today was, was this. And uh, it's the, the delivery side of coaching that I feel falls by the wayside a bit. Because on this podcast, we talk about the business of coaching and most marketing and most business around this coaching industry is how to get more leads, how to get more sales how to make more money, how to leverage it so you don't have to do as much. But the actual delivery to your clients is where most people slip up. And that's why we have so many, you know, bad coaches out there and so many bad experiences from clients and customers. And we've all had a client who just doesn't work out. Perhaps they've had a change in their circumstances or perhaps they had the wrong expectations going in. Um, And I know this one's happened to me is when you're just so keen for the sale, you bring on someone knowing they're not quite right for your program and then the relationship sours. So a lot of less experienced coaches out there maybe get pretty blindsided when they have a customer or a client with negative feedback. And so what I'd love for you to help us out with today is to kind of break down a few steps of dealing with a negative client relationship, starting with that initial complaint. Yeah, fantastic. So, look, I think there's there's lots to be unpacked in that side of things. Um, the first thing I think is the impact of that complaint itself on the coach. And, you know, what we know is that the minute you get a complaint in, whether it's a verbal complaint from a client or whether they've sent you an email or potentially it's already a bad review on Google, um, what that does is it can trigger a stress response in the body because this is bad. This is a threat to our sense of being. It's a threat to our sense of professionalism. And what that means is when we get these threat responses, um, it, it sort of releases cortisol into the body. It releases adrenaline into the body. And it actually means that sometimes we don't respond to things rationally because the cortisol and adrenaline puts us into that sort of fight or flight mode um, where we are acting on instinct rather than looking at what's the right, the rational thing to do. It actually shuts down the neocortex thinking part of our brain. So I think the very first thing to realise when you get those complaints or get a complaint is that this is potentially going to happen. And you just need to pause. You know, you need to just take that little break so that you're actually not just reacting to what's going on, but you're actually thinking about it and being strategic. So that's step number one. Um, Step number two is um, the next step you really want to do is actually understand more about that complaint. 
Um, I think so often what happens is we get a complaint from a client. It might be fairly brief and it might be very top level. So it's kind of, okay, I'm unhappy, but they might not explain exactly what's gone on. And so, you know, I think the, the challenge is to not necessarily accept that the client's right when they complain, but to really be prepared to ask questions and listen to them to understand what their perspective is. So, and, you know, I think the word that you used before around expectations is critical. Um, so the negotiations that you have before you even start delivering the service become really important because that's where the, the expectations are set. But once we get to this complaint, it's really about letting that person explain exactly why they're upset and asking deep questions. So keeping asking, you know, I talk about using the five whys technique mm -hmm. um, where each time it's like, well, why was that a problem for you? Help me explain why that was a problem and really getting down to what their core concerns are that have been brought up in this comp complaint. Yeah. Wow. I'll, before we go into step one yeah. through 11, let's unpack steps one and two. Yeah. So the, the gut punch that you get when you get the text or the email that, you know, suddenly they want to pull out or they want to refund or they're unhappy because we are generally in the coaching industry. We are the business. We are the brand. It is a personal attack on us. Even though it's not meant to be, we take it as a personal attack. Yeah. So really, really important to try and approach it logically. Easier said than done, but I suppose that approaching it logically would probably come with just a sense of security in what you do. Or is there any other way that you, you think that's a, you, you can be more logical about a complaint? Uh, look, I think, yes, having, having comfort in what you do is important, but it's also important. I always say you've got to go into any conflict with at least a 0.1% chance that you have made a mistake or that you're wrong. Mm. Um, and the reason that's important is because where we tend to go is into self-defence mode once that complaint is there. And so, you know, typically what will happen is somebody will respond to the complaint by telling the other person exactly why their complaint is unjustified. Yeah. So they'll give them all the reasons why what they did was the right thing. And, you know, it could be a whole range of different things, but all they're doing is actually speaking at the person who's complained to basically tell them that they're wrong. And what you do is, <coughs> excuse me, you set yourself up for this battle of right and wrong, you know, so it becomes quite combative because, if what they're saying is true, then what I'm saying must be wrong and I can't be wrong, so I need to fight and they're fighting back. And what tends to then happen is you both stop listening to each other. You're so busy putting your own case forward that you're not listening to the others. Now, that's why step two, that idea about understanding exactly what the complaint is and digging down and asking good questions is so important because during that phase, you're actually listening to the client. Um, and of course, that is harder than it sounds sometimes as well. You think listening was easy, but it's one of the hardest things we do. But you've got to actually really deeply listen, not just for what they're saying, but also for what they're not saying. You know, what is the underlying theme? What's going on that's making them say these things so you can understand exactly where they're coming from? Yeah. Um, and the, the, the hope is, and what will happen in most cases, is once that you've given them that gift of listening to them, they will return the favour and allow you then to talk and be listening properly to you rather than listening to tell you why you're wrong. 
Yeah, very important. Do you think that when there is a complaint and there's a conversation going over text or email, it is important to get on the phone as soon as possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason for that, I mean, there's there's a few. I mean, interpersonal contact, I think, is always um, better. But the main reason for that is that it is really easy to misinterpret something that's in writing. Mm. Um, and when you think about communication, you know, whatever is the message that's in my head that I want to convey to you, um, I will send that using my words. There'll be tone of voice and there'll be body language. Now, when we read something, there's no tone of voice. Mm. But because of the way our brains work, we actually effectively read out loud in our head. And so our brain infers a tone of voice in what we're reading. Now, here's the challenge. If I'm in conflict with someone, you know, there's a complaint, there's now a damage to the relationship, my brain is much more likely to infer some kind of negative tone of voice than it is a positive. So I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they said that thing and it had a good intention. I'm going to go, they absolutely meant to crucify me with that. That is so funny. That is so true. Oh, my goodness. When you're listening to <laughs> your uh, your partner complain about a day at work and the voice they do of their boss is never, and then she said this, it's like, and then she goes, nima, 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 and she puts a voice on for them because of her perception of her in that moment. That is so funny. But it's even if you think about a friend and, you know, maybe you've just had an argument with this friend. Yep. Um, and you send um, an email to them saying, um, have you booked the restaurant for next week? And you get a text message back and all it says is no. <laughs> yeah. But if you've just had an argument with that friend, it's more likely to be no, as if to say, stop hassling me, I'll get around to it and you know, don't, don't need you following me up. Yeah. If you haven't, it's more likely just to be a no. Yeah. You know, there's no tone, there's no anything in it. So... I think this happens to us all the time. Yes. Yeah, it does. And some people just don't punctuate very well, do they? Some people, my um, father-in-law is uh, German and he's a businessman and he runs this company. He's a managing director of a company. And he says that um, he works in the Australian office, but they, the head office is in Germany. And apparently a lot of the Australian staff often when they first start working there, they think that the German staff are really negative because mm. they're so straightforward. There's no hope this finds you well. There's no nice weather we're having. It's just um, here's the job, get it done by Friday, bye. In a completely friendly way, but yeah. it is because it's written down, there's no nuance and people just assume the worst. So, okay, fantastic. So we've, we've gotten to the point where We've accepted there's a chance we may be wrong. However, uh, the client's angry. We have managed to compose our emotions. And now we're having a chat with the client where we've asked some questions as to why they feel this way. We've gone to the root of the issue. They're still angry. And now there's an issue of money. They want their money back or they want to get out of the contract. And we don't want to do that. How do we move forwards? So, look, this this is where in that conversation that you're having, what you want to be doing is uncovering really what's important to them. 
Now, in some cases, just digging down and understanding, you know, actually really well, listening to them well and getting some sort of problems, uh, you know, getting to the root of what their problems are, that may be enough to get rid of their anger completely. You know, sometimes and often these conflicts arise because of poor communication in the lead up to the problem. Um, and if, if communication had been better, we'd never have got ourselves into conflict situation at, in the first place. So sometimes um, just having that complete understanding of where they're coming from and why they're upset, and sometimes we might need to make an apology or there might be something that we can quickly and easily do to get back into their good books and the problem goes away. Where there is still a problem, um, and you're in a case where you're talking about, um, you know, a client wanting to get out of a contract and, and stop um, services without paying anything else, um, you end up then in a negotiation. Now we understand what the problem is. We've got to move into negotiation territory to figure out, well, what's the best way for both of us to resolve this? Mm. Um, because, you know, if you think typically you've got a case where maybe you've got a retainer with the client, they want to terminate, you could rely on the contract and say, well, I don't care, you've signed up to this, I'm going to sue you if you don't pay me. Um, and, of course, what that will do for your reputation and, you know, Google reviews or whatever they might be doing is not going to be good for you. So it's really coming down then to understand what's important to both parties to get a resolution. And, you know, for the client, they'll have their own things that are really important. Maybe it's that their priorities have changed and this is no longer the, the best thing for them to be doing. Um, maybe that they've run out of money and they can't afford it anymore. Um, maybe they just feel they're not getting the results that they deserve. You know, and I think that's where the conversation is really important because clients may come to you going, are oh, you just not doing what I expected? Um, but ultimately, it might, that might not be the real reason that they're unhappy. It might be something completely different going on in the background. Um, so understanding what those real reasons are allow you to then be the creative art solutions because if you find that there's a problem with the service delivery, um, you're going to have a very different negotiation to if it's a financial issue and they don't see the value in what they're getting. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? That happened to me a few times in my uh, nutrition health coaching business back in the day. And just there, there was a quite, I had, you know, relatively low ticket products and people were paying, you know, like $68 a week, that sort of thing for this online group coaching thing. And often I would get people, not often, but sometimes you get people saying, hi, Alex, um, you know, I've really I've lost my job or whatever, and I need to terminate the contract or, or whatever. And it's fine with one person, but when maybe you've got, you know, a, a few people make a similar excuse or something like that and want to pull out and suddenly your income drops by, 30% because you've mm. just said yes to everyone that can be a bit of an issue. And so you've delivered your service properly. The person has signed a contract. However, their circumstances change. And the way I always used to look at it was like, you wouldn't just text Optus and say, I can't pay my phone bill this week. Why are you texting me? Let's work through it together. So, and I know I'm just asking you straight up specific questions. You've got a client who is fine with what you do, but runs out of money and can't pay you. They're on a contract. You're relying on that income. Where do we start? 
Look, it's a really good question. And I have to say, there's no easy answers because the first thing I want to do is talk to that person and find out, is it that they've legitimately run out of money? If that's the case, then is there something creative that you can do to get some value from them if it's not money that you're getting? So if this person really has been happy with service, um, they've found benefit from it, but they can no longer afford to keep going, what can they do for you that might be helpful if you have to give up that money? Because, you know, you've got a choice. You could rely on it and force them to pay money that they can't afford, um, which probably means they'll be going around saying negative things about you. But what about if they actually became your spokesperson? You know, what if they're actually somebody who um, agrees to put really positive uh, posts out on social media for your behalf and starts to advocate for you? Or someone who brings in some new business? You know, okay, well, you can't afford to. That's great. We'd love to have you back when you can. Um, if you're able to bring us some new people, we can talk about the fee reduction or, you know, there's, there's ways that you can then be a little bit creative because you've got to be really clear about what is important to you as the, the coach. Mm. And, yes, money is important. Money is almost always important in a negotiation. But your reputation, your ability to bring in new clients, um, your um, sense of respect, um, all of these are important as well. So mm. you've got different interests to play with that you can meet in the negotiation to try and get an outcome. And, you know, once again, I always say you're not always going to get a great outcome in a negotiation, but you want to get the best possible. And, you know, the, the, the challenge here is if you can't negotiate something with this client who's come to you saying they want to leave, they can't afford it, what they're likely to do is just walk off anyway, cancel their direct debit, and mm. you'll never see or hear from them again. And they'll possibly go and say some pretty negative things about you out in the marketplace. So even if you can get something that's better than that, it's not necessarily going to be all the money you wanted, but if you can get something that's more valuable than that, then you've got a good outcome in the negotiation. That's true. Yeah, you do, you do see unhappy clients or anxious clients just go radio silence every now and then. Mm. And there's nothing you can do. You know, you can contact them in as many ways as possible, but they block your number. So what you're saying is that the worst possible outcome, you know, may be they leave, they're unhappy and you get no money out of it anyway. So you may as well do your best to help everyone just be better than that, that outcome. Which yeah, is, well, I think I think going a step further, the worst outcome is that they leave, you get no money, and they're saying bad things about you. So mm -hmm. even if you can get them to leave and see no money, but you've protected your reputation, that's already one step forward. Yes. Um, so, and look, I think um, I had a really good idea just a second ago, and it's just flown out of my mind, but it'll probably come back. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's a, uh, it's a really funny journey. It's a really funny journey of the coaching process because... Mm -hmm you may be an expert in what you do as in you're really, really good at bodybuilding. So you decide to start teaching people how to bodybuild, but then suddenly you find yourself dealing with all these different people. And maybe you don't work at the gym anymore where you've got the gym to protect you. You now work for yourself online and suddenly all these different personalities. And then you have to deal with money and contracts and the whole thing can just really come at you out of nowhere because you're not prepared or equipped for this. You're good at lifting weights and eating right. And so it's... I think the, the other thing I was going to say before, actually, it's just come back to me. 
Um, you know, I think when you're in that coach position and you're dealing with this difficult client um, who wants to cancel, I think you've also got to put yourself, you know, think about things that you where you've been in the client position. Um, and I wonder whether some of these coaches who are complaining about clients changing their mind and wanting to get out have ever done that themselves with a service that they've signed up to. And I think we've just all got to remember to be human in these situations and understand where people are coming from. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that goes a long way. Yeah, 100%. We've all done that, right? We've all done that. And for me, because I've been on the the sales side of it, I know that if I've ever signed up to a program and then decide I don't want to do it, I'm just going to say thanks. It's been real. Pay myself out, you know, keep paying it. And then just accept it because that's me. I like to take responsibility for things. However, that's only because I've been on the sales side of it. And I know that the, the, the alternative is no fun for anyone. So I so made my bed, lie in it. And I think part of the coaching process is being able to take accountability for stuff and mistakes, that sort of thing, right? So um, the, the last thing I really wanted to ask you was going into your own, you know, business and your own experience of negotiation, working with clients, is there anything that, is there anything about negotiation you know now that you wish you'd known when you first started running your own business? Um, look, I guess when I started running my business, I was already in the negotiation space. So I've had the advantage of that. But when I think back to earlier in my career, and particularly when I was, um, working in the, in the insolvency side of things, I think the confidence to know that negotiation doesn't have to be a scary thing. I think a lot of us have this sort of negative connotation of negotiation um, or maybe we don't have a negative connotation. You know, some people, you, you ask some people, and interestingly, there's a gender difference here as well. So there was some research done and typically women would describe negotiation as something like going to the dentist. Um, you know, not a particularly fun thing, whereas men would look at it more like it's a competition. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, coming in knowing that it is actually an opportunity to work with the other person to get the best outcome between you and to be a bit more collaborative, I think that's a really important thing. And, you know, particularly, as you said, we all sort of get brainwashed into what negotiation is through our experiences of Hollywood movies and TV shows. Um, and knowing that it doesn't have to be like that and that's not what negotiation is, is really important. I think the other really big thing is just knowing that um, the, best, the best thing that you can do in a negotiation is bring a mindset of curiosity, which leads you to ask lots of questions of the other side to really understand where they're coming from. Um, and then being a really good listener um, to actually get the value out of the answers that they give you. Fantastic advice, Nicole. Fantastic advice all around. And I hope, well, I wish I'd had your knowledge from today, six years ago, when I first started taking on my own clients, you know, but we live and learn. We get it's never through. too late to learn. Never too late. Oh, we're learning every day. We're learning every day. And, and look, I still learn about negotiation. You know, I've been working in this space for 10 years um, and I still learn because everybody is different. Mm. Um, every situation is different. And, you know, it's interesting. There's one author, Michael Wheeler, who wrote a book and he, I, I love his analogy. He says negotiation is like jazz. 
Um, it's like, you know, imp improvised jazz where you've got to have all the skills. You've got to know absolutely, you know, if you're the jazz musician, you've got to know how to play your instrument. You've got to know all of the technique and the theory. But in any given moment, you've got to adapt to what's going on around you. Um, and that's a bit like negotiation. So you practice all of those individual skills, the questioning, the listening, the analysis, but then you've got to be completely flexible in the moment. And that's where I think, um, you know, I encourage anyone who's doing this to take more time to reflect after they've had a negotiation. You know, what did I do then that worked well? What could I do differently? And also get some support, you know, particularly the bigger the negotiation, get someone else involved because we also get hung up by our own biases and our own kind of subconscious distractions. Um, and an, a third party perspective adds a lot of value in a, in a big negotiation. 100%. No, 30, third party perspective in so many things where it allows some, a neutral party to come in and look just like when you've been looking at a crossword puzzle forever and it's all blurry and then one person comes and gets it straight away. It's just because they're not so deep in it, right? Yeah. So uh, did you have any resources available that people can come and grab to get some skills? Yeah, absolutely. So if people head to my website, which is nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, um, there's a template there which is to help you prepare for a negotiation. Um, there's also a blog um, on there with a whole bunch of different articles um, there's my podcast, Negotiation in Real Life podcast, where I talk to people about their real life experiences of negotiation. Um, and uh, there's also, I've got a book available on Amazon, um, which is called Negotiation from A to Z, 20, A to Z, where do I say that? A to Z, um, 26 tips to improve every negotiation. So that's available on Amazon. Love it. And the Hollywood movie, movie influence continues, right? Americanizing Indeed. even our alphabet these days. <laughs> I think it's because I was just talking to somebody um, before this call whose name was Zed. Oh, right. How funny Unusual, is that? but there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's so great. Well, we'll definitely be plugging those resources in all the clips we released from this episode. And yeah, I can't wait to get that template as well. That sounds really fun. So Nicole Davidson, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It has been an absolute pleasure and lovely to speak with you again, Alex. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully not for the last time. Well, for anyone listening or watching live, thank you so much. We'll be back in a few days time with another episode of Coaches to the Moon. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Much love and peace out. Coaches to the Moon will be back next week. Until then, reach us on Facebook at To The Moon Digital Marketing.